0: Tonight, it's the CBS original comedy, The Neighborhood. I need at least a month to prepare for a debate, not six hours. Actually, it's four hours. <laughs> now my watch is broken, too. <laughs> With Cedric the Entertainer, Max Greenfield, and guest star Wayne Brady. You gotta fund the schools or graduate fools. I stole all my lines. <laughs> no, don't worry, I got a plan. Okay, well, what is it? Okay, so I don't have a plan. <laughs> a new episode of The Neighborhood. You're gonna have to give up a show. Tonight, 8, 7 Central, on CBS.
1: FNZ, welcome into the five o'clock hour on Wilson and Parcel still feeling good Josh I'm feeling good are you feel- feeling better than you did when we started the show I'm feeling just
0: as good I'm mm. feel I'm still I'm I'm, I'm on a hundred mmm what? I, no, I, I, I'm i very <laughs> proud of you. That sounds like a I'm, I'm very you, you, proud of you. you. sound sound skept- – you're proud of me? Yeah. For feeling good? Yeah. Man, the bar is low. Well, no,
1: what I mean is I'm just pr- – I'm really proud of me that I didn't piss you off to the point where you just don't want to be here for yet. No.
0: Wh- wh- why would that happen? Uh, we're, we're talking sports. I'd, I'd say this – it's like yesterday. I got NBA television on right now. I got uh, the Nuggets and the Jazz close game, game two, at five o'clock on a, on a Wednesday, life could be a lot worse right now than being able to watch basketball, talk a little sports, get paid to do it.
1: I got to say, you've had this kind of uh, rosy disposition all week long. You were quoted uh, in in a lovely piece for Barrett Sports Media, and you, you gave me a little bit of dap. You gave Hacksaw a little bit of dap. You gave the show dap. You represented the show very well.
0: Would you want me to go like full like Johnny Depp and just like trash everybody I know? No, just hacksaw. Oh, well, I thought about it. Yeah, hacksaw was was pretty. You were you were taken aback yesterday. You you felt good because I said that I said nice. I don't even know what I said about you. I just know it was I nice.
1: Know, I he, he read, blacked out. <laughs> I
0: I read the full thing last night, so eh, I shedded A here. Oh you
1: know? yeah. Okay. The only thing about that is I literally wrote a nice thing about <laughs> you for that site and you 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 i i you never read it as far as i know i read it mhm yeah. <laughs> well you know what now i'm feeling about 98 all right joss is feeling 100 i was feeling 100 now i'm feeling about a good solid 97 right now hacksaw uh however in the meantime uh espn's bill barnwell uh actually i'm thinking of a different espn thing espn uh, came out with their ceiling and floors for every team in the NFL. And this is based off 20,000 simulations using their uh, football power index, the FPI. And they have the Panthers at eight wins and they have, uh, that's the ceiling and then the floor at, at three and 13. The ceiling feels very high for a team with major question marks still in the trenches in an incredibly young defense,
0: Josh, uh, if I had to watch this Panthers team play 20,000 seasons, I think I would poke my eyes out. That wouldn't be good. I don't know if 20,000 is the, the right number. Maybe, so you'd maybe be two. feeling like a 72 there. I mean, yeah. Yeah. If you want, if you want to take me, if you want to take all the fun out of my life, just make me watch this Panthers team 20,000 times. Uh, but you know, this is pretty much spot on, uh, you know, eight, you said eight and eight is the ceiling. Three and 13 is the floor. If anything, I would go a little bit lower. That's my only thing. I I, I don't think this team gets to eight wins. Uh, I think this it's more likely that this team wins two games than it is that they win eight. I think it's more likely they win three than it is that they win eight. I I think that this is a. I think, I think this is a two and 14 or a three and 13 football team. And that's not just because of the roster. I don't think the roster is very good on defense. I think the roster is very bad on defense. I think it's one of the worst in the league, but I look at their schedule and I see if you just look at the lines that Vegas has on these games right now, and this can change. I mean, I'm I'm not an idiot. I know that the lines are going to change every single week, but just looking at the whole season, the total picture, the Panthers have two games, all year long in which they are favored. And in those two games, they are favored by a half a point. It's the lions game at home in the middle of the season. And it's the week 16 trip to Washington where they're favored by a half a point. Every other game on the schedule, they're a dog. And not only are they an underdog because in the NFL, you can be an underdog in a lot of games. It's a three or a four point line. The Panthers are underdogs of at least a touchdown or more in half of their games. In eight of their games this season, they are expected to lose by at least a touchdown or more. That is an enormous line. I just look at the schedule and I think this is not a team that can get to seven or eight wins. If they were playing in an easier division and they didn't have the Chiefs on the schedule and the Packers on the schedule on the road or the Vikings on the road, I would tell you maybe this is a 6-7 win football team. But the schedule is what scares me away. It's what I said when the schedule came out. You know, we say floor and ceiling. I think it's a two or a three win team. I mean, what do you think they're closer to?
1: I mean, I I think, I think the, I I actually, the more you've said two wins, I do think that's a possibility and I think that's a a fair possibility. I would probably go three to six wins. I said seven wins earlier, but man, I just, you got to go back to how is a team built and how are they going to win? They're not built well in, in the key areas that I prefer to to base my, my assumption on at, in the line. And then they don't have a quarterback who I think is going to be able to overcome that line consistently. So I think three to six wins. I think eight wins. Like, I got to know. I got to see those simulations. You're saying you don't want to see those simulations. I want to see what happened and in what world and what simulation. They went eight and eight. Because to me, that means Teddy Bridgewater is much better than he's been in his career. To me, that means that defense is is certainly not just outside of the top, the bottom five in the NFL, but they're probably closer to the 18th, 19th, 20th defense in the NFL. And I also think it means the offensive line far surpassed the expectations. That is a lot. Like, even even in the most ambitious Panther fans' mind right now, if I just said these three things have to happen... You know what? What's the outcome, or or how likely are these three things to happen? I I think you'd maybe one of the three.
0: You know, whenever anybody does these pro, uh, projections and computer models, it can get super nerdy and really complicated really quickly. But it, it boils down to this: it's very simple. There are four classes. If there's a class system in the NFL, there are four classes in the NFL. There is the upper class that is. On average, going to win like 11 games, and depending on injury luck and turnover luck and stuff, could win a couple more, a couple less. But on average, it's, it's an 11 type win football team, 10, 11. There's the upper middle class, which is your nine, eight and a half, nine win teams, maybe 10 that are playoff contenders, but not like your top of the line Super Bowl threats. There's the lower middle class, which is your teams that on average are going to win seven or eight games. And then there's the lower class. And, and the lower class in a year like this is the Jaguars, Washington, the Bengals. The Dolphins, I would throw the Jets into that mix. I would probably throw the Giants into that mix. And then, of course, the Panthers. Like five or six teams that you simulate the season 20,000 times, they're going to win five games, maybe six. Right. But in one season, you know, luck and, and and all sorts of factors can, can change that number. Whether it's you have a, a couple of key injuries at the wrong position at the wrong time, or, you know, like I said, turnovers can be a big factor in determining, you know, if you win more or less than you're supposed to. But I just think with the Panthers, you know, in Vegas, they've got the Panthers at five and a half, you know, that's similar to where Cincinnati is. They're five and a half. Washington is five. Jacksonville is sitting at four and a half. Those same teams. I looked at all of those teams on ESPN's model. And they're all basically the same. Jacksonville ceiling is seven wins. Washington is eight. Cincinnati is eight. Miami is eight. So is Carolina. And their floors are all three and 13 or four and 12. So the Panthers are basically in that class. And if you look at the teams last year that were in the bottom, the lower class teams in the NFL a year ago, Miami, Arizona, Cincinnati, the Giants, and Washington had the five lowest win totals in Vegas. The most games any of those five teams won last year was five. It's just, it's really hard when you're that bad for you to even get to eight wins, let alone six or seven. I just, I best case scenario for the Panthers this year. I think they, they go seven and nine. And that is, that's honestly pie in the sky just to get to seven.
1: Yeah. We have somebody on the text line here saying that, that Kyle Allen won five games last year. This isn't the same team. And just because a bad quarterback did something last year in the situation uh, under a different regime with different expectations. That was a veteran club. This is a young club. I think it's really dangerous to say X happened last year. So Y is going to happen this year or Y could happen this year. You know what? I'll also say Carolina overachieved
0: last year. You ever thought about that? Yeah. Like, if people say, Oh, Kyle L won five games. That ain't the floor. <laughs> that, that might've been the ceiling <laughs> for this team. I mean, yeah, they nearly knocked off green Bay. But it's not like the the difference two years ago, 2018, that was a team that won seven games and probably could have won 10 or 11, even with an injured cam, because they had chances to win seemingly at the end of every game. The the Panthers were lucky to beat Houston. They were lucky to win uh, a handful of others. This team, five wins with Kyle Allen, they, they might have overachieved. So that was probably closer to a three win football team last year. And now, a defense that was already bad and got worse as the season went along lost Luke Keekly. And I don't care if you think Luke was 90% of what he used to be, I'll take 90% of Luke Keekly over just about everybody else in football. They lost James Bradbury and replaced him with Eli Apple, who's led the NFL in penalties each of the last three, or led his team in penalties, sorry, each of the last three seasons, right? They replaced Mario Addison with Stephen Weatherly, who I think is an intriguing prospect, but he's not Mario Addison, or at least hasn't proven to be yet. They lost Gerald McCoy. They lost on Tari. They lost all the good parts about this defense that was already bad. And I think they overachieved last year. So stop with the They won five with Kyle Allen. So they'll win more with Teddy Bridgewater because the defense lost all the parts that mattered. And on offense, it, it's, it's 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 an average offense. It's, it's hard to imagine them being much better than that.
1: So we're talking about ESPN here in their ceiling and floor for the Panthers, the ceiling at eight wins, the floor at three wins. I think I think for them to get close to eight wins, and and I'm talking about six or seven wins, fo- foundationally injuries or what the the NFC South isn't going to ha- is going to have to be what people are saying it isn't. It's going to have to be much closer to the middle of the NFL in terms of divisions or a worse division than it is one of the best divisions, which is what people are saying about it from the floor side of things. It really does. I, I think the interesting push and pull here is can the offense do enough to carry the defense or can the defense be respectable enough that the offense doesn't have to carry them? I would say to the defense, I don't think so. I think when you combine youth, inexperience, turnover, all the things that we're combining here, even though there are individual reasons to be excited and they could get better as the season goes on, that defense is going to be something that week in, week out, we're going to probably have to worry about pretty consistently. And offensively, the difference between them being able to quote-unquote carry the defense, which means getting somewhere to 7 and 8-8, and and eight and eight, that's going to depend on the offensive line and whether Teddy has to overcome a bad offensive line.
0: Carrying the defense. Let's Let's think about what that phrase really means. Carrying the defense. That means that this offense – with what most would consider probably a bottom ten offensive line, depending on Okung's health, could be worse. Health could be worse. Uh, an unproven tight end, one and a half, two proven wide receivers, Curtis Samuel, who I, who I really really like, could be the third. But uh, the offense having to carry the defense, which means you're going to have to get into shootouts with Tom Brady, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski, and Win. You're going to have to get into shootouts with Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara and win. You're gonna have to get into shootouts with Pat Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill, Clyde Edwards Alaire and, and win like like where are you getting the eight wins? The ceiling at eight. I look at the schedule. I'm telling you the best case is that get to seven. The the offenses that they have to face, nobody else in NFL history has faced this kind of schedule in terms of quarterback play and the Panthers have the worst secondary in the league. I I I can't imagine a world in where they win half the games.
1: All Texas hour courtesy of the building center, all tweets courtesy of diamonds direct uh what is the ceiling for the panthers and what is the floor uh we also have to get into the fear being real but the the one simple fact is also just as real if not more so sports radio fnc I'm still Nick. He's still Josh. Josh is at 100. I'm at I'm, I'm at 97. Uh, but we are uh, knee deep in NBA playoffs here. The Raptors taking a 2-0 series lead earlier today, Josh, over the Nets. Not surprising. It was a five-point game. That's a little surprising. And right now, uh, the Jazz with a 13-point lead. Uh, over the Nuggets at halftime here. It's the Jordan Clarkson show, just like we all said it was going to be.
0: Clarkson has had his moments, man. The the the, the first game back when they took on uh, New Orleans, he went off. If they can get performances out of him like this, it's going to be huge, especially with Conley out. How about that? Mike Conley, and nobody's going to blame the guy, but leaves the bubble. This is where the bubble stuff gets weird. Leaves the bubble for the birth of his child. And now he has to return and he has to quarantine for four days before he can play again. So they're hoping he's going to be back for game three on Friday, but that's a weird situation. So when you get Jordan Clarkson putting up 16 points and a half, that's big for Utah because they sorely need a win after blowing the game the other night.
1: Well, and Donovan Mitchell, only six points in 18 minutes. That also takes a little bit of the pressure off of him, and if he can explode in the second half, they can tie that series at one games apiece or one game apiece. Of course, the big news last night, Josh, was not a three versus a six or a four versus a five. It was two one seeds going down. You saw the L.A. Lakers fall. You also saw the Milwaukee Bucks fall. I think, I think more people saw... The Blazers win over Los Angeles coming, but they were both pretty shocking yesterday.
0: They were both shocking. I would tell you that the the Bucks loss was the more shocking one because it's Orlando and and they're missing Jonathan Isaac and they're missing Michael Carter Williams and Markel Fultz is having to play big minutes. This is a beat up Orlando team that already wasn't very good to begin with. And they go in and, and beat Milwaukee. Now, look, Milwaukee and L.A., both struggled mightily in the return to Orlando, but neither team looked very good at any point. The Lakers had had a couple games that they beat the Clippers in the return; that was a, a, a nice moment for them. But but since then, the Lakers have really struggled offensively. Uh, they've struggled to shoot. Milwaukee's been in the same boat. But you you kind of chalk it up to. These are the one seeds, they know they've got the one wrapped up. They're just kind of going through the motions. They don't want to get anybody hurt. They don't want to do anything that's going to, you know, hurt their chances getting into the playoffs. They both got off to slow starts last night, and it's the first time since 2003, Nick, that both one seeds lose the opening game of a of a first round series.
1: Well, it's interesting. Giannis was held without a field goal over the final eleven minutes of yesterday's twelve point loss to the Magic, and then for the really what it came down to, the Lakers actually got back into the game and had a six point lead with seven minutes to go in the final seven minutes of the game. The Lakers went 0 of three from outside. I'm sorry, o of six from outside. They shot twenty one percent. And the Blazers outscored Los Angeles 19 to six. LeBron was uh, was really good last night. LeBron was the facilitating. LeBron do a little bit of everything. 23 points, 17 rebounds, 16 assists. The guy I I know that I know Deion Waiters, Alex Caruso, KCP, Kyle Kuzma or Carl Kuzma, depending on who you know. They all have to do a better job. But Anthony Davis when when it's late if, if lebron's still going to try and get everybody else involved anthony davis needs to get in takeover mode he was not there last night uh, 28 points is what it says in the box score that's that's a soft 28
0: it's soft in some senses because he settled too much. I mean, Anthony Davis should not be taking five threes against the blazers. He should be attacking the rim. He did that. And he got to the line a lot. I'm going to give Davis a lot of credit because he he got to the line, took 17 free throws. And at times last night, there were points where he was the dominant Anthony Davis that we have known. I agree with you though. It was at best a five out of 10 performance from Anthony Davis. And do they need more out of Anthony Davis? Of course they do, but that's to beat the blazers. If the Lakers reach their goal this season, which I don't believe is to beat the Blazers in the first round, I believe it's to win an NBA championship. They cannot do it shooting 15% from three. They cannot do it shooting 25% from three. They cannot do it when Alex Caruso is taking three pointers with 55 seconds left in a one possession game or a four point game instead of LeBron James or Anthony Davis dictating the offense. They cannot rely on on Kyle Kuzma to go one of five from three, or they honestly, I don't understand why Deion waiters only played one minute last night. Waiters I thought was their their fourth best offensive player behind LeBron, Anthony Davis and Kuzma during the regular season in the bubble. I understand that waiters is a liability defensively. And if you put waiters in the game, You're basically asking Dame Lillard to score 55 points, but the Lakers need more offense. The Blazers have one of the worst defenses in the league. The five games leading up to the playoffs, games in which the Blazers had to win. I mean, the Blazers are going all out to win against teams like Memphis and the Clippers and Denver and and uh, everyone else they play in the last five games. They gave up at least 120 points in all five of them. And last night the Lakers scored 93. It was an awful performance by the Lakers, not by LeBron. LeBron was excellent. And LeBron knows that he has to he has to get the rest of his teammates involved and and, and help develop and build confidence in them because he's going to need them in later series. They have to worry about getting through Portland. I, I said a week ago, I thought Portland was going to beat them. And last night did very little to convince me. Otherwise, I, at the very least, this series has the potential to go seven. And if the Lakers supporting cast doesn't wake up, Dame Lillard's going to send them home.
1: And I'm telling you right now, Frank Vogel's doing a, a half-ass impression of David Blatt, uh, a guy who was overmatched in his first playoff series with LeBron and Cleveland back in uh, carry the two uh, 2015 twenty fifteen twenty fifteen. Frank Vogel, a guy who was a good NBA coach who had some success in Indiana, looked outmatched last night. And one of the things when you have when you have a guy like LeBron who can do what LeBron can do, and I would say this with Anthony Davis as well, who has a phenomenal skill set too. the The key is getting the right guys in and pushing the right buttons. Now, hypothetically, you would have been trying that out in the final eight games of the bubble, but. When you see that you've got two guys last night in KCP and Alex Caruso who were 0 of 8 from the outside and were 1 of 15, I think, from the field, defensively they might be helping you, but they were killing you offensively. I don't give a damn if it's 10 minutes or 5 minutes or 20 minutes. You have to try and find something that works. And you have to have something to go to other than trying the same damn thing and it it not working. Yeah. But, but, and this is
0: where lies the inherent problem with the Lakers,
1: because I don't think Vogel
0: coached a great game yesterday. I didn't understand some of the rotations and, and lineups that he used, but if you take Caruso off the floor, if you take KCP off the floor, who's, who is guarding that backcourt? That's one of the best backcourts in the league. And last night, Look, 34 from Lillard and 21 from McCollum. That's a good game, but they could do more damage. And holding the Blazers, who have a great offense, to 100 points... It was a good effort on the defensive end by L.A. They did a pretty good job at, at stopping Dame Lillard for much of the game. Now, Lillard kind of had a quiet 34 until late. He had a couple huge threes. The 40 the footer he hit was stupid from the logo pulling up in the, in the face of Anthony Davis off a ball screen. That's just that's unguardable. But you were able to if you're going to put Deion Waiters on the floor, if you're going to put J.R. Smith on the floor. I mean, Dame's going to go off. Those guys are are negative defenders. They are not good defenders. That's the irony here,
1: Josh. Well, No, that's my point. They had the defense out on the the court. They had those guys out there. They had KCP. They had Caruso out late in that game because of the defensive impact and because those other guys were going to kill him. and then Dame still did. It was still Dame time.
0: To some extent, right. I mean, but again, if you're playing them throughout the game, Dame's going to – my point is Dame's going to go off – For four quarters, I I mean, Dame had moments late in the game where he's going to do Dame things, but but the Lakers, if they're going to trade defense for offense, if they're going to put those offensive guys on the floor going up again. This is why the Blazers are a tough matchup for them. And this is why I'm worried about the Lakers. Even if they can somehow get through Portland, then you're going to go into the next round and okay, well you got through Damon CJ. Here's James Harden. Here's Russell Westbrook. Here's Eric Gordon. Here's that team, which is going to create all sorts of matchup problems for the Lakers. I think it's a mess. And and to go back to, to talking about the lineups and vocal and stuff, you know, this is where the, the Lakers have problems. the Lakers, worst lineup their worst five-man lineup nick is lebron danny green kcp anthony davis and JaVale mcgee it is a net negative on the season it is only one of two lineups that they even use this year that is a net negative when those five guys play together that was their starting five you cannot play davis and mcgee together for much time at all and if the lakers want to win whether it's against portland or whether it's any time throughout the rest of the playoffs Anthony Davis has to play center. You have to play him at the five. You have to put more spacing on the floor for LeBron. Even when Rondo comes back, putting JaVale McGee and Anthony Davis on the floor at the same time and forcing Anthony Davis to have to take five threes a game and feel like he's more of a face-up power forward than he is a guy who can get inside the paint and dominate around the rim and get second-chance points and do the things that Anthony Davis is great at doing, the Lakers will not win a championship. They may not even get through Portland I mean, Chuck Charles Barkley last night w- walking around with a broom in his hands. I'm not going that far. I don't think that they're going to sweep the Lakers, but I'm worried about L.A. I'm very worried about L.A. I've been worried about the Lakers. And last night, Dame Time showed up again. They've got their hands full with Portland. I, I could see it
1: ending in six or seven games and, and the Lakers going home. We've got uh, we got Fred on the text line here saying that uh, LeBron needs to score more than 23 points. LeBron guys, LeBron. LeBron had 23, 17, and 16. LeBron had a historic night. If you just judge LeBron's input by by points scored, you've missed the ever loving point. I never would do this about Magic Johnson and how many points he scored. I wouldn't do this about guys of that ilk. I certainly wouldn't do this about Scottie Pippen either. Of great guys who can play the point forward role. LeBron James is the only guy facilitating offense. So the idea that he needs to, he might end up, you know what, he might end up needing to score more, but that is pathetic of that team with chock full of NBA players. They might not all fit together. They might not fit perfectly together, but you've got Anthony Davis in a bunch of guys, including Danny Green and Kuzma and KCP, who should be able, and Markeith Morris, who should be able to figure it out, where LeBron shouldn't have to score 40 and have twenty rebounds and have fifteen assists. But to say LeBron didn't do enough last night, I questioned if you watched the game at all. Who's in more danger here? What's what's the more concerning loss? The Lakers or the Bucks? And another big name ops out on the rundown on Sports Radio FNG. To Wilson and Parcell. We've got a lot to get to in the uh, final hour and a half of the show, but it is time for the rundown here on Wilson and Parcel. We started, Josh, with uh, some interesting news that came down today. Sage Surratt's Wake Forest career has ended the Deacon Star receiver opting out of the upcoming football season. He will uh, instead prepare and focus on the 2021 NFL Draft. Josh, how is this going to affect Wake Forest this season. It's
0: a brutal blow for Wake Forest. This
1: is a team that already lost Jamie Newman
0: transferring to Georgia. I uh, Already lost virtually everybody else off of what was a pretty good offense last year. But Sage Surratt is a guy I think that will be drafted in the first couple rounds. Uh, I don't know that he'll go first round. He might, but he's certainly a guy that should be off the board by the third round. And that's just that that's too much production to replace at Wake Forest. I, I think Wake might be the worst team in the ACC this year. They lost everybody offensively. They returned two starters now. And even last year with an offense that was pretty good, you see when Sage Surratt went down with an injury they were one in four down the stretch losses to virginia tech and clemson that's that's expected but lost to syracuse lost to michigan state those were games that they should have won and they would have won if Surratt had been healthy that was a huge huge loss for wake forest and this it, assuming we play this is a year that's going to be the for the first time in five years a true rebuild for dave Clawson. a step back for wake forest after the last four years they've been taking steps forward it's it's okay for Wake. They still, I think, I like Dave Clawson, but this year could be a, a, a very rough year for Wake.
1: Yeah, it was probably going to be rough anyways. I, I think that's my takeaway. Is is Sage is making the best decision uh, for him. I, I would have loved to see him play with uh, with uh, Hartman, the young quarterback. It is what it is. And and here's the thing. I really liked that kid when he played a few years ago. Uh, got the crap kicked out of him, and then last year Jimmy Newman took over. I, he's going to be running for his life this year. He's going to have to try and do some magical things for this to, for for them to have much of a chance at all this year. Number two, you know, yesterday, the final drive.
0: Powered by Queen City Audio, Video, and Appliances, was about all the new young stars that we are about to witness in the next generation. Guys that we watched their parents or their uncles play. It was was Charlie Woods. It was Bronny James. And it it was Arch Manning. Well, guess what? Lo and behold, today, 247 Sports comes out with their class of 2023 rankings. That's right. We are old. The class of 2023 top uh, 100 kids. I think it's top 100 kids have been released. And number five on that list is the rising sophomore out of New Orleans, Arch Manning. Nick, are you as excited as I am? I feel like nobody's excited as me, as excited as me to see the next Manning play, but I can't wait for it, man. And he's a top five recruit. I told you, biggest recruiting battle in, in the history of college football.
1: It's going to be Arch. I, uh, I'm not that excited. I, I, I do like recruiting, kind of. But I'm more, I I more get hooked into the stories. I think eventually I will get hooked on this. And I think the closer we get to 2023, it's going to be unbearable as he continues on. But yeah, right now I'm not that excited about it. But I do think that there's going to be a time. You know, maybe maybe it'll be when he first commits or maybe it's, you know, going to happen during his maybe senior season. But I do think there's going to be a time where we talk an awful lot of Arch Manning, not just here, but in sports talk in general.
0: Yeah. I mean, if we're talking, if we're talking about a a Louisiana kids recruitment in Charlotte, you know, it's a big deal. But if you do, if you're listening, you want to get excited about this kid, go watch the film, like go watch his highlights it's it's awesome like this kid looks like peyton he looks like trevor lawrence he's this tall lanky kid who i mean he's 14 years old and he's shredding defenses of kids three years older than him at the highest level in louisiana he's gonna be a stud and he's already got uh, high school coaches saying he's maybe better than peyton and eli was i mean that's quarterback royalty you're talking about with the manning family and arch is the next one it's cool to see him be number five in the newest ranking
1: Number three. The Athletics' David Ubbin joined the show earlier today uh, at 3 o'clock, and he discussed if the student-athletes are classified uh, or will be classified as employees and what it would lead to.
0: Well, these cries for a um, uh, players' union would have been quieted if they did passed name-image like this a long time ago. Yeah. I mean, that's blatantly wrong. As far as Title IX and the funding goes, well, I'll tell you what it means. is It means less $10,000 lockers, less $2 million assistance. I mean, the money in college football is ridiculous. Um, if you shift your priorities and you move around money, I mean, uh, it, the facilities arms race is, is absurd. The, N- the NFL makes infinitely more money. The players make more money. And guess what? The facilities are worse. That's where you have to do. You have to move that money around. Uh, and the idea that, oh, you know, if, if players end up getting paid, we're going to have to cut sports. Yeah, it does if you don't want to change your budget. Um, And so that's sort of – it's the cop-out, honestly. So David's a really smart guy. I almost completely disagree with everything he said there. If if we got to a point where you had to treat college football players like employees, first of all, it opens up Pandora's box for a number of problems. But do you mean to really tell me, as David was suggesting, that Alabama – is going to cut back on its spending for its football facilities so that they can give a kid a half scholarship to play volleyball? That ain't happening. If they, if, if these schools break away from the NCAA and they no longer have to abide by Title IX guidelines and they treat the college football players like employees, they're going to spend money on football. The money is going to go to football, and the other school, the other, I'm sorry, the other uh, teams are going to suffer the consequences of that, uh, I'm sorry, but that to me, that doesn't hold water. Uh, I I, I think there are a lot of problems with turning these players into employees. I am all for them earning more money and having more freedom. They should have a voice and a seat at the table, especially this year when their health is potentially at risk by playing. They should have the the choice, and if they want to play, play, that's great. They should just have a voice in doing that. They haven't been given that opportunity, but also if you're going to pay the players, if you're going to allow them to make money, the name, image, and likeness bill is the way to do it. Let them make money from third parties, endorsements, alumni, whatever, but the school should not be paying them because it is going to create so many more problems than problems that it will solve. I, I don't agree with that at all.
1: I, I think the thing that the, the Power Five conferences and anybody in college athletics has going for them is that they that there's so much ground to make up for these athletes in, st- in, in terms of earning potential, in terms of power, that they can continue to have the definition of amateurism while while embarking on a new era of college football where players are more empowered and it starts with that caveat right there the ability to capitalize on name image and likeness and to do it in a way where they aren't hamstrung by the bozo ncaa who would who would try and cap it or would are and to do something to, to to sully it up i i i think i think this is i think this is setting up for at some point the power five breaking away and saying listen not going to call you employees but here's name image and likeness is that enough whether it's with a players association or a student association or organization and i think it will be enough
0: uh maybe it it might be but one other thing that david said that I just let's be realistic here when he says, well, the NFL makes more money and the facilities are worse. You want to know why? Because NFL teams don't need their facilities to recruit players. They have millions of dollars to pay them in order to do that. And they have a salary cap. And there's a lot of other factors at play. And there's a draft and there's trades. It's not the same when you're a college program. You need those facilities. You need the other bells and whistles to help convince kids to come. It's not just about the money they can make. It's about everything else. That arms race is not going anywhere.
1: At any point. I'm going to tell him you said that. I'm texting him right now. Number four.
0: All right, number four, Jonathan Jones. Uh, David, Reed. we're friends. We can disagree. Uh, Jonathan Jones (laughs) stopped by earlier and gave his expectations for Teddy Bridgewater in Carolina this season. I thought it was spot on.
1: Honestly, this is a year for for
0: Teddy to just let it fly. Let it rip. Let's have some fun. Let's figure some things out. Let's kind of work out the kinks right now because, you know, frankly, this is... As we all know this this is not a super Bowl team it i mean it'd be it'd be one of the greatest
1: shocks of the last couple of years if they were to make the playoffs and so understanding all that you know go out there have some fun see what you can do learn what you can't do uh and
0: and use that to build off of in 2021.
1: this is also going to be a fantastic year kind of in building what what jJ just said for for teddy to to knock down any of the narratives about him. You know, uh, Josh, you've done a good job of, of painting uh, Teddy's efficiency and throwing down the field. He hasn't been asked to, to do that a lot. But, I mean, something that has followed him everywhere is not just that he hasn't been asked to do it a lot, but the prevailing notion that he's not as comfortable pushing the ball down the field. Hey, this is a perfect marriage because he's going to have to, if this defense is as bad as we think it can be, He's going to have a lot of opportunities to push the ball down the field and dispel some narratives.
0: Yeah, I I hope he does do that because I think one of the biggest misconceptions about Teddy Bridgewater is that he's unable to throw the ball more than 10 yards. He, He is. He's done it plenty. He's been one of the most accurate and efficient passers beyond 15 yards downfield in the NFL when he's been healthy over the last five seasons. Going back to his year in Minnesota, he just played in offenses where they didn't really require it. And no one's going to confuse him with Aaron Rodgers, but as a guy who has been asked to deliver throws to tight ends over the middle of the field, or deep out routes, or fade routes, or corner routes, or stuff that, that requires you to push the ball more than 15 yards and to do it accurately in tight windows, Teddy has done it. And he's done a pretty good job of it. He just hasn't done it a lot. And I don't think that you want him to necessarily do it a lot, but he is a guy that's capable of it i thought i thought jj hit the nail on the head that this is a year not a ton of pressure on him i think if teddy can just be serviceable can and borderline good as a quarterback i think it affords the panthers the opportunity to be patient and not have to go they can but they don't have to go draft a quarterback next year if they still have confidence in teddy going into next season
1: i i just continue to go back to the idea to all the people who have ragged on teddy and and again you and i've gotten into it and, and i don't I don't see him as highly as you do. I still see him as a starting quarterback in the NFL, right? And there there can be a gap in what that means, but people keep wanting to talk about, well, he isn't Cam, he isn't that. I, it needs to be stated infinitely. It needs to be stated repeatedly. I don't know he's going to have to be Cam Newton this year, simply not being Kyle Allen should be good enough at least for for him starting the season for 16 games now there's the rest of it which is can they support him and is that offensive line gonna protect him and how bad is that defense gonna be that he can't control any of that Teddy can control what it sounds like he's controlling which is being a good leader going out there being a good efficient player taking care of the football he does that we'll see where we are in a year we'll see where the Panthers are and we'll see what they can do to upgrade or, or build around him. That is the rundown here, 704-570-9610. What are your expectations for Teddy Bridgewater this year when we come back? Uh, could, Could the Big Ten and their season not be dead? Could we see Big Ten in the fall or otherwise? That's coming up next right here on Sports Radio FNC.